Marley was dead to begin with. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Which is really tragic. His music gave so much to so many people. Rip. You're listening to Outside of a Dog, where we decide whether great literature is actually any good. Hello and Merry Christmas, everybody! Ho, ho, ho! Who are you calling a ho? Um... Um, so, welcome to Outside of a Dog on A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Tis the season to be jolly and tis the season to tackle this Christmas classic which has seen countless adaptations, versions in different media. So maybe it is time to actually read the original and talk about it. So this is one of those cases where we wonder, do we actually have to summarize the plot? Because everyone knows A Christmas Carol, right? Scrooge is a miserly businessman who treats his employees very badly, who is not charitable to anyone around him. And in the night before Christmas, he is visited by several ghosts. First, the ghost of his old business partner, Marley, who, as you heard, is as dead as a doornail. And Marley tells him that he is suffering in the afterlife because he was just like Scrooge. He was miserly and unkind to all those around him. And so Scrooge is visited by three more ghosts. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And they show Scrooge the spirit of Christmas and that it is better to be kind to those around you. They do this through a mixture of reminding him of his childhood and how he ended up as the man that he is, then showing him the kindness in the world around him that he cannot see, and also slightly terrifying him that he will die alone and forgotten and unmourned if he keeps going like he is going. In the end, Scrooge is reformed. Uh, he starts being very kind to all those around him, and he always celebrates Christmas with the right spirit of kindness and giving. A Christmas Carol, or the full title, A Christmas Carol in Prose Being a Ghost Story of Christmas, was published in December 1843. And it was a success, and it became more of a success in later years. Now, Charles Dickens was no stranger to success. He's often seen as the most eminent Victorian novelist. He was born into the middle class, but the family had money problems, so many of the social problems he tackles in his works he was no stranger to. He started out as a law clerk, then became a journalist, and finally became a novelist. His works include such classics of English literature as Oliver Twist, Great Expectations, and Bleak House. So, Jonas, this is probably Charles Dickens' most famous work. So, do we want to talk about Christmas? I want to talk about Christ and Christianity, because that is... A, a very <laughs> uncontroversial topic. <laughs> yes, um, it is a bit odd. A Christmas Carol is at the same time a very religious book and a very unreligious book. It is a Christmas story that sort of replaces the biblical Christmas story. You could almost see it as a new secular mythology where you have supernatural elements, but you don't have God. You don't have Jesus, really. And the ghost of Christmas past, for example, doesn't take Scrooge back to uh, the birth of Jesus. He just takes him to Christmases in his own life. So A Christmas Carol is not about Christmas as a religious holiday as much as it is about Christmas as a festival that you celebrate as a social holiday. 
So on the one hand, it is slightly unreligious. On the other hand, it is really, 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 really religious and very moralizing as well. Moralizing is a good word to use here because one thing that the Christmas Carol clearly emulates is the medieval morality play. This is basically a kind of fight for Scrooge's soul, uh, only there is no devil that is tempting him. But the figures of the three Christmas spirits are clearly reminiscent of the virtues of the morality play. And there's one scene in particular where the spirit of Christmas present shows Scrooge to poor children and he presents them as ignorance and want. Clearly allegorical figures. And this reminds one not of some sort of Christmas fairy tale, but more of a morality tale or of something like the Pilgrim's Progress. So Christianity is clearly there, even though references to Christian beliefs in Christmas are not really that prevalent. But in the end, the last words of the novel are the famous words of Tiny Tim, the little boy with the undefined um, disease. He's dying of being Victorian. Yes, absolutely. The last words of the novel are, God bless us, everyone. And I mean, I'm not a believer. I was not raised Christian, even though we always celebrate Christmas because it's just what you do. And I do sort of think of myself as a hardened cynic, but when you just read that, Tiny Tim saying, God bless us, everyone, even though it is so kitsch, even though it is so moralizing and he's laying it on really thick, I do kind of get a tear in my eye and think, oh, Tiny Tim. I think what Dickens does pretty well is he takes of Christianity the basic notion of, hey, how about being kind to each other? Yeah. And his morality tale is not about finding God or realizing that one true way to heaven or faith or something like that. No, it is the very clear and almost cliched message of let's be nice to each other. Let's help each other. That is the true spirit of Christmas. And that is the true spirit of Christianity. Something that has always rubbed me a bit the wrong way about A Christmas Carol ever since I noticed it is that there is an undercurrent of sort of Christian jingoism about it. Ebenezer Scrooge, well, firstly, his name is Ebenezer. He is not ever mentioned to be Jewish or of Jewish descent, but he is coded as very Jewish. Uh, he has a sort of uh, Hebrew-sounding name. He is, of course, in the financial business, sort of a moneylender, but also um, in real estate and living off rents. So there is a lot of Jewish coding going on, which, knowing Dickens' history with that and generally Victorian attitudes to Jewish people, and then also this person uh, is defined by him not celebrating Christmas. Yikes, there's definitely something there. There is something there. I'm not sure Dickens meant it like that. That's the thing. I think it was just so much in the air. There was The Thames just flowed with anti-Semitism. Good thing that's over, right? Yeah, absolutely. But what I find kind of interesting when it comes to this notion of the Christian under or overtones of the story. It is a very clear story. It's very, very moralizing. And at the same time, it kind of puts the onus of the responsibility on the individual. So it's your own thing. You need to change. And I think that brings us to 
the next point that we can discuss when we discuss the Christmas Carol and the works of Charles Dickens in general, he's often seen as the big social critic of Victorian times, of the large gaps between the upper class and the working class. Oliver Twist, for example, is famous for criticizing the fate of orphans and of working class children in London, and many other of his works take this up. Now, Dickens' father actually was in jail for being in debt, and I think that is often seen as a kind of inciting moment in Dickens' perspective on things. But what I find interesting is that Dickens is by no means a social revolutionary, and I think that is clear in A Christmas Carol as well. Scrooge is a miser. Scrooge is a hardcore capitalist who has to learn the way of charity and all that. But apart from Scrooge, every single person seems to have learned that already. The spirit of Christmas present takes Scrooge on a kind of tour of the country and shows him the plight of the poor, the mining workers, people on a, a, a lighthouse somewhere in the ocean. And everywhere, no matter how hard the circumstances, they celebrate Christmas. Now, that's all fine and good. But the system that is responsible for keeping people in these circumstances is not criticized in the slightest. Maybe that is too much for a Christmas carol for a story about Christmas, which doesn't focus on this necessarily. But I think that is something that is there in Dickens' perspective in general. Yeah. And it is something that, well, we're struggling with to this day, that individual charity is so lauded that rich people are praised for donating a fraction of their wealth to allegedly charitable causes but the underlying structures and systems are not changed. And especially around Christmas, there are all these pledge drives, all these appeals for, um, oh, give money to these poor children, which we exploitatively print on a poster, and then you'll feel better about it, but then you can vote for parties that keep them in poverty again at the next election. And you said it's too much to expect of A Christmas Carol to give an answer to the social question of the 19th century, which increasingly seems like the social question of the 21st century as well. But it is definitely part of this whole charity discourse. I mean, one thing we can kind of say in Dickens' favour is that he is very unflinching. He really shows in gruesome detail, basically, um, how, uh, for example, poverty uh, has effects, even in The Christmas Carol. And when it comes to the spirit of Christmas yet to come and the circumstances of the death of Ebenezer Scrooge, it's kind of harsh to read that yeah um that a scrooge for example asks the spirit oh show me one person that is kind of positively affected by me in my life and my death or that shows some emotion some positive emotion about my death and he shows him a couple who are in debt and who have a little bit of reprieve before uh, having to pay their debts because scrooge is dead and that's something to celebrate and that is kind of ballsy to put that in there <laughs> But then it also says, of course, that you can change, that there is a way for you to be saved and that then it's going to be fine. So if you just repent at the end of your life, you can be horrible throughout your life. And I mean, all the people who Scrooge evicted from his properties, who died in the streets, they're still dead. He can't bring them back alive by celebrating Christmas from now on. So I feel like he gets away 
a bit easily. Uh, he 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 gets to just turn around and say, "Oh, by the way, I'm nice now." And we are much too ready to forgive real life billionaires for being horrible. And then they say, "Oh, but actually now I'm nice." And then we say, "Oh yeah, great. Why don't you run for president?" But on the other hand, I think there the Christianity comes in again because one very important topic that is not really spelled out but that is there throughout is forgiveness. Because when, for example, Scrooge infamously calls everyone a fool for celebrating Christmas and his nephew for falling in love and all that and says humbug every second sentence, all of the people he kind of criticizes or even throws out that way, every single one of them says, oh, but Merry Christmas to you. And when the spirit of Christmas present shows him how they're celebrating, they are toasting him. Sometimes ironically, but sometimes unironically. They're thinking of him and they kind of think of him as a poor soul who's all alone. So I think the kind of Christian charity idea that you have to turn the other cheek is there as well. So it's difficult to to kind of square that with the social criticism sometimes. But Again, the Christian perspective is there more clearly than you might think. So we have largely discussed this in terms of Dickens' broader work already. Let's come to the style. And I think about the style, you can say it is by Charles Dickens. So he has a very idiosyncratic style, a very recognizable, easily parodied style as well, which I'm guessing nowadays a lot of people will know more through parody than through the actual works. He has these long, elaborate sentences, the antiquated, even for the time, vocabulary. Well, it's just Dickens. What more is there to say about the style? Well, the question is, is it a good style or not? And I think it's almost a subjective question because personally, I love Dickens' descriptions. They are long-winded. They are almost to the point of, as you mentioned, parody. But the first time he goes into a description of London in the winter and the fog in the city, which is kind of reminiscent of the famous beginning of Bleak House, and later on the descriptions of the Christmas feasts different people are having... I love it. I don't know why. It's He's very detailed. He's also kind of ironic, removed, like some of the earlier omniscient narrator figures of Victorian literature. But there's something about the way he writes these things that you have a feeling of he is telling us everything without telling us everything, basically. So I, I like the style, personally. I like the style, too, In moderation, Dickens is pretty good at writing these one-liners, things like Marley was dead to begin with, or God bless us, everyone, or in Oliver Twist, please, sir, I want some more. But it gets a bit much. And confession time, I have never actually read something by Dickens except for A Christmas Carol. Um, I tried to read Oliver Twist and I could not get through the prose after a while. And here, what comes into it really is that A Christmas Carol is so short. You can you can read this in an afternoon. I think as an audiobook, it's around three hours. So, you know, it is just very readable. It is short enough that you can sort of breeze through it. There's always a new ghost coming along to keep you entertained. So if you might be insecure about approaching Dickens, this giant of English literature, this giant of prose, then I think A Christmas Carol is a good point to start because you probably know it already anyway through cultural osmosis and you have an in to his style. One last thing I might want to mention, it's mentioned in the subtitle that this is also a ghost story. It is many things. I find found that interesting. Sometimes it is very, very sweet and almost too sweet. 
Sometimes it is a ghost story that kind of works with gothic atmosphere. Sometimes it's and also, it is really scary. It is scary. It is also really funny at times, like especially in the beginning when Scrooge meets the ghost of Marley. There's a very dry and almost dark sense of humor there. So doesn't he accuse him of being a piece of cheese? Yes. And I mean, that, again, is typical of Dickens, this kind of trying out different modes, um, kind of switching from one literary emotion to another, but always being in control and always kind of telling the reader, see, see, that's where I'm going now. And I think that is part of what makes it so readable, because he doesn't just make you miserable. He doesn't just make you feel horrible about the fate of the poor orphans and the widows and the poor people. He grips you and, and keeps you entertained by always offering up a new emotion as well as a new plot point. That suspiciously sounds like judgments already. So maybe we should talk about our highlights and lowlights or about the Christmas feast and the ghostly chains. So Jonas, what did you particularly like about the Christmas Carol? What I really like about the Christmas Carol is actually something that I remember from my first encounter with the book when I was a child. I listened to an abridged version as an audiobook, and there is a scene where the ghost of Christmas yet to come shows Scrooge the room in which he died, and there is a mention that there was a sound of gnawing rats beneath the hearthstone. What they wanted in the room of death, and why they were so restless and disturbed, Scrooge did not dare to think. And I didn't understand this as a child, so I, I asked my mum and said, well, why is he so upset by the rats? And she said, oh, because rats eat corpses. And I was maybe six or seven, and I said, what? Rats eat corpses? Uh, so slightly traumatized by that, and it has definitely stayed with me. Uh, so uh, this is one of those very effective gothic moments of A Christmas Carol. I chose a very small moment or a very small detail for my highlight, but it, it really struck me as well. In the beginning, when Scrooge's everyday business is described, there's never a mention of the name of his clock. It's just his clock. But then when the spirit of Christmas present shows him around, then suddenly we get to hear his name for the first time. It's Bob Cratchit. And suddenly we realize Bob Cratchit has a name and he has a family and he has a life beyond his job. This is a very subtle way, but it kind of gives us Scrooge's perspective. Scrooge learning something about the world, the people around him, and gaining a little bit more empathy. And I found this very, very effective. It's, again, it is filling you with empathy and emotion without hitting you on the head with the hammer of, do you see this is how you should act? So I really like that small moment. Let's come to the lowlights, the ghostly chains that bind us to hell, or something like that. Uh, well, it's appropriate that you mention the ghostly chains, because my lowlights are the points where Dickens just really lays it on a bit too thick, where he tips over into, yeah, okay, I get it, territory. And I think an example for that would be the scene you already mentioned earlier, where the ghost of Christmas present shows him to allegorical poor children and says that they are ignorance and want. Okay, you've made your point, you've made your point again, and then you've made your point yet another time, it's enough now. I basically wanted to choose the, this scene in particular as well. Ah. I, I think there is a reason why it's usually left out of the adaptations. It's kind of weird and doesn't fit. But another low light for me is actually the ending, because the ending is the summary. Like, oh yeah, that's what happened with Scrooge afterwards, and he was a good guy at the end. There's... After all these different modes, after these descriptions, and after this kind of journey we took with Scrooge, it's kind of a disappointing ending and feels a little bit hollow. So, 
in the end, is it actually any good? Should people read A Christmas Carol? I don't think so. Maybe, as you mentioned, as an entry point to Dickens, but as you also mentioned, you know the story already. You know how it goes, and I don't think really reading A Christmas Carol adds a lot to that. You know it, and there's nothing to add to that. I would say yes, because even though you already know it, it's one of those books that you can read every Christmas, basically, as a sort of holiday tradition. For example, a lot of people travel for the holidays. They go back to uh, their parents' place uh, to spend the holidays with family. So you'll be spending time on an airplane or on a train or on a bus. Why not take along A Christmas Carol and read it on your journey? It's a nice book, and even though you already know it, and even though you might also watch one of the adaptations uh, with your family on Christmas Day, the book itself, it is where this whole multimedia complex of books and plays and musicals and films and heaven knows what comes from. So I think it's worth checking out. But what if you want to check out something else? Something Christmassy, maybe, even? Now, I even have two recommendations. One of them is something Christmassy, and that is the Father Christmas books by Raymond Briggs, who's most famous for the Snowman picture book. Uh, he did two picture books about Father Christmas, Santa Claus, for all you Americans out there, and they're really charming. He's a brilliant artist, and he portrays Father Christmas as this grumpy old man, basically, who likes his job, but also is annoyed by it sometimes, and goes on holiday, and has problems with his uh, has problems with his digestion and all that. But he still manages to get the, his magical job done in time. It's a very charming and very down to earth portrayal of Christmas and what's behind it. And on the other hand, I want to recommend something connected to Dickens. And that is, and please don't laugh, that is The D Case. The D. <laughs> this is a book by two Italian authors, Frutero and Lucentini. And they basically took Charles Dickens' last unfinished book, The Mysterious Case of Edwin Drood, which was a kind of crime story, and wrote a frame narrative for it, and with a kind of congress of famous fictitious detectives trying to solve the crime in the novel and trying to finish the book. It's a brilliant piece of postmodern play, but it also makes you read a book you otherwise wouldn't read, because who reads an unfinished novel? So the D case by Frutero and Lucentini, and because it's included, The Mysterious Case of Edwin Drood by Charles Dickens. Now, I don't want to recommend a book. I don't want to recommend a film, as I sometimes want to do. I want to recommend a piece of music that my family usually has on, sort of in the background uh, at Christmas. Where we decorate the tree, usually we listen to Handel's Messiah. The Messiah is a great oratory. It is sort of odd, as it is about a religious theme, but it is not composed for a church. It is composed for an orchestra and a choir and... An organ is involved somewhere. So it, it is an odd piece of 18th century music, which is just really good. Everyone knows the Hallelujah Chorus, but the whole work has this soaring energy about it, has this grandness, and it is just really, really Christmassy. Not just because of my um, personal association with it, I think, I think it is a kind of Christmas classic, also because it is about Jesus. So listen to The Messiah by Friedrich Handel. However, do you think you can represent the Christmas spirit better? Maybe by sending us a Christmas message? If you want to write us a card, please don't, because that feels... 
strangely personal. Instead, you can write us an email at outsideofadoccast at gmail.com. You can also write us a message on Twitter at outsideofahound. You can find our website with all our episodes and contact details at outsideofadogcast.com. And you could also give us an early Christmas or late Christmas or whatever Christmas present by supporting us on Patreon. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash outsideofadog. And if you become a $5 a month supporter on Patreon, you will get access to our bonus episodes... Uh, where we discuss adaptations of works that we discuss on the podcasts. And this time we have a large variety of adaptations to choose from. But There's we... the Patrick Stewart one, there's the Jim Carrey one. But we choose the one true adaptation that maybe fits Dickens' spirit best. It's the Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, so please go to patreon.com slash outside of a dog and support us with $5 a month and uh, you get access to that bonus episode! Oh yeah, please! So, Merry Christmas, everyone! However, there is a new year coming and in the new year there will be a new episode. So, Christian, what will you read in January 2020? Ooh, it's the future. The future is maybe also time to look back. And Jonas, you had a really good idea for looking back. For once. <laughs> and that is we could have a look at one of the two Nobel Prize winners this year. No, 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 not the one you're thinking of. We're not going to delve into all of that. No, we're talking about the Polish winner, Olga Tokarczuk. And we're going to read her probably most renowned book, Flights. So come back in January for flights, which is going to really mess up our carbon footprint. Thank you very much for listening. For more information, visit outsideofadogcast.com. Three little ghosts, they come to visit, teaching you about the spirit of kindness. This is my message to you. Do Rastafarians celebrate Christmas? Uh, probably. I'm not quite sure about the role of Jesus in Rastafarianism, but I'm guessing he must be important. I mean, it's it's still Christianity. It's, so. it's, it's